0: To the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the Sex PharmD Podcast with your host, Dr. Nadia Archambault, licensed clinical pharmacist and certified sex therapist. With a focus on women's sexual health and wellness, Dr. A is here to cover important health topics and answer all of your questions about subjects that can be applied to pharmacy practice. And now, here's Dr. A.
1: Okay, we're back today with my guest from the previous podcast episode I did. I wanted her on for part two here, Dr. Jenna Quinn. Welcome back, I'm very happy to have you here again.
0: (laughs) Thank you, I'm very excited to chat. I feel like we could talk for hours. Exactly,
1: exactly. (laughs) Uh, so just if you want to tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself again, if they have didn't listen to the previous episode,
0: just yeah. what you're doing right now
1: with pharmacy and
0: yeah, really so cool stuff. I am a pediatric pharmacist by uh, tr- by trade, so I've been um, in a NICU, PICU, uh, or ER setting and. It, Always surrounded by you know children, so it was always anyone from zero days old, those little tiny preemies, to uh, 21 years of age. Um, And lately, some of the kids are actually have been older in the facilities because what I'm realizing is sometimes they have a hard time transitioning out of various facilities um, once they hit 21. Um, But I still, from being in the ICU settings and um, just around. Pediatrics just exclusively in the hospitals, I realized that um, two patient populations were uh, very much underserved when it comes to pharmacy and and in that outpatient setting, in the ambulatory care setting. And so those two patient populations were our medically complex uh, pediatric patients, and um, in addition, also our uh, fetal maternal medicine patients. So we had resources inpatient for them as far as a clinical. Pharmacists, But then what I found was once they transitioned to outpatient, there was very few pharmacy experts on those two topics. Um, and they're extremely high risk populations, both of them. So I built a business um, to cater to those, both those populations in various am care settings outside of the hospital where we're primarily used.
1: Yeah. And I, I just love this whole area of pharmacy that you've carved out for yourself. Uh, and of course we'll give the info on how to get in touch with you and how to find you after in, in the show notes, but your perfecting Peeds, which is, you know, the perfecting website. You have also your company that you've created is, is pretty amazing.
0: Thank you. So. <laughs> perfecting Peeds off of my, uh, OCD. And I think everybody who <laughs> is a pediatric or neonatal pharmacist has to have a little bit because, um, there, you know, you have to be meticulous about all the dosing, but, um, yeah. And, and through that, I just, um, started taking care of a lot of moms in in that newborn, um, who were in the NICU or just on the, on the well floor, or even the high risk ones that are, you know, being watched by fetal maternal medicine. And so there was always lots of questions surrounding the you know, how, how safe X, Y, and Z medications are while pregnant. And then also, um, while breastfeeding after they had the baby. So that's something that, um, with my own personal journey, being on effects uh, through pregnancy and breastfeeding and mm-hmm. really quite frankly, needing that to survive. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine not knowing, you know, the, the safety efficacy, um, through, you know, through, through my journey. Um, because, because numerous providers told me to get off my meds and had I not done what I do, (laughs) um, you know, I knew the risk, I knew the benefit. And for me, it was a no brainer, um, to stay on my meds. I think that's where we kind of, um, get, Uh, you know, it gets blurry, but for a lot of people, but I think that with each patient, it's like, you know, what are, what are your risks if you go off this med? Like for me, it's like, I I really can't function. And then Mm. what are the benefits if you stay on this med? And I think, you know, we, there's so much guilt surrounding various medications while pregnant and breastfeeding, but you have to think of, you know, if I'm not on these meds for anxiety, depression, you know, or these antipsychotics, um, while pregnant and breastfeeding, I'm not going to be able to even function. Therefore my baby's not safe. I'm not safe. So I think there's a a lot more that goes into it than, um, the surface level that a lot of providers, um, think about. And they're just like, you have to get off. So it's like a, a trigger, you know, it's like a, like they just see that someone's pregnant and then you think you have to be, you know, all organic and off all, every single med. And so that's yeah. not necessarily safe for a lot of people.
1: Yeah. And I, I like to use the scenario with patients where you, you really have to be the best version of yourself. So yeah, to take care of others properly. And so, you know, when you're on an airplane and they go through the emergency, you know, and if the yeah. oxygen mask comes down, you have to put the oxygen mask on you first and it's not being right. selfish. It's just before putting it on your kid, because then if you're not functioning, they're not going to be able to function properly. So it's that whole idea behind that.
0: Right. You know? I, yeah. yeah. I, com- I completely agree because growing up, my mom was like, and obnoxious. She was, she didn't, never needed a break from us. She never did that. something. She was oh. just like always happy to be with us. And I was like, oh my God. And now having mm-hmm. three girls, I just always stress to them like, mommy needs 20 minutes to herself. Right. Or mommy's going to go, like, they already know what a spa is. Like, mommy's going to go get a a, a, a facial. Like, uh-huh. mom. Yeah. Or mommy's going to go on a date with dad or mommy's going to, like they know my workouts are non-negotiable. You can work out with me, but mm-hmm. um, I'm going to, I'm going to do it and you can just sit here and chill or you can work out with me. But I think there needs to be, you know, that needs to be a message that all women here, um, especially we recently had a family emergency with my sister-in-law. And oh, yeah. I think it's just not talked about enough that like, you don't feel guilty for, for, for needing these things, especially if you're in crisis, like
1: 100%. So important. So, yeah. So back to the, the breastfeeding and I know that you're an expert on this, which is so cool. I love it. Uh, As far as medications that you can take while breastfeeding postpartum and the topic of contraception, because I've, (laughs) I've heard and talked to couples where they have the oopsie baby because they just, you know, the woman just gave birth and then she wasn't taking anything uh, and, and her, you know, the body hasn't healed 100% yet. So it can be dangerous also. So yeah. I wanted to get your, your take on the different types of um, contraception that woman can take um, and what you usually discuss with, with your patients who are breastfeeding and postpartum. Yeah.
0: This is very timely. So I have <clears throat> three girls. My two, my first two were cloma babies, and then this the third one was an oopsie baby because we didn't think we could get pregnant she's the she's the biggest blessing ever Aww. but now we're like okay three girls we cannot have four girls <laughs> <laughs> Like okay we've they're all going to be two years apart they're all going to be like having their periods at the same time I'm like I like no husband, yeah I like me and my husband are like we can't we can't so we go. So my husband goes, I called literally before Avery was born. That's my six month old to get him in. Of course I called to, for a vasectomy. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we get, we get the, the bill for his consult and it's like over $400. And I'm like, I'm like Steve, isn't this covered by insurance? So I call his insurance carrier and, um, we're now we're now we're all under his insurance, right? Because I have my own business. So, um, mm. and they're like, Oh no, uh, we're a Catholic institution. Oh no. <laughs> like your husband's vasectomy is not covered and either is any of your birth control. So, <gasps> Okay cool. So oh. this really it's timely because this has just happened last month. So during this whole process I've been looking into okay so the vasectomies quite frankly out of the question unless you want to pay like thousands and thousands of dollars mm-hmm. which at this point, that's cheaper than a kid. So we may eventually, (laughs) um, um, I've had to literally like go through, okay. I am someone, I can't put hormones into my body anymore. Like, I don't like, like I, I share with you that I'm on a fixer. I'm I'm very Mm -hmm. anxious, um, without my fixer, but then Mm -hmm. also on top of it, like I realized very young, like you know through the end of high school that i did not do well on hormonal contraceptives with my mood at least okay um, and i always felt like i had like breakthrough bleeding and so it took me a while i eventually seasonique was like the magical thing that i was able to to be on um mm-hmm. but but saying that now like if i was to go back on season eight, that's not safe breastfeeding. So it's like, okay, what are my other options? Because I know in the past, um, with my first, I went immediately on, um, the progesterone only pill. Yes. Yes. And that is completely safe. So it's talking about options, a lot of providers, that's kind of like their go-to, but there's a lot of other options that we don't really explore. Um, But my personal, my last OB was awesome. And then in addition to my experience, so I'll definitely take you through all the options, but I feel like a lot of people go on the progesterone only pill um, when they're breastfeeding, because we we know it's safe. Um, It can't Mm -hmm. have any sort of estrogen in it. And so also to note that like a lot of women aren't aware that if you have any history of like a stroke clot, any Mm -hmm. history, which is really important of
1: migraines, that's not really talked about. I Um, I actually suffer from migraines. So I'm on progesterone only.
0: Oh, perfect. Okay.
1: Yeah. Because the estrogen can contribute to that. And for years when I was younger, Before pharmacy school, I never knew that that was a contributor, the estrogen. And I was on estrogen birth control, had no idea.
0: Yeah. And that's a lot of my, um, like one of my girlfriends has like a QRA malformation. And I'm like, you should really, please just go on progesterone only. Mm -hmm. Another one of my girlfriends, oddly enough, she had the, um, she was on, estrogen, um, birth control, she was a, a smoker, but it wasn't like, it was like more like a casual, like, you mm-hmm. know, when you're, you're young and, and dumb and we we're all doing stupid stuff in college and high school. And then, mm-hmm. and she, this is, um, before she even had any kids, she had a stroke, a mini stroke. Wow. So then, yeah. So she was somebody that I was like, you have to get off that. Um, mm-hmm. like, you know, and then, you know, God forbid you have like any sort sort of hypertension, like these are things and, and she had migraines. So it's like the perfect storm, yeah. of, but I don't yeah. think enough people know that if you have a migraine, you should absolutely not be on an estrogen containing, uh, birth control. Um, because sometimes they don't even tell, I mean, they don't even tell their OB that that is that part of their history. That's the thing.
1: Yeah. Or history of breast cancer. Um family yeah, history, history of breast cancer. Yes. yes, yeah.
0: And my, my family all has extensive history of breast cancer too. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so these are all things that like, when you're at your OB, you're not like thinking of even telling them. Um, but yeah, so, so that was like, so I started that after Peyton and then, um, that was my first and I, I swear that's the reason and, and I could be wrong, but, um, that was definitely a contributing factor for me, not like developing. I also went down on my effects are a lot. Okay. Um, With my first pregnancy, I don't know, again, talking about like feeling guilty about life. My last two, I was like, Nope, I'm staying on, (laughs) staying on. Well, yeah, this dose that I'm not going to be like a hero and they're both safe and they're both healthy. So, um, but like with my first, I had a lot of guilt surrounding it. And so, um, they like, when I had her after they started me on the progesterone only pill, which is really important that, you know, I'm sure, you know, taking it that I, same time every day. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like you, there's no forgiveness. Like with the estrogen tablets, you can, you can even miss like a day or two and, mm. and make up for it. But with the progesterone only, you have to take it within like that 30 minute period every day, or else you have an increased chance of mm. becoming pregnant. Um, so I think that too can be a deal breaker for a lot of people because like, it's hard, especially when you're a new mother too, to write to like, just take a shower, then let alone. add. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I tell them, set an alarm on your phone. Yep, send it alarm yeah. on your phone. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think that heavily affected it made my anxiety worse postpartum. So I think that too is like a, another thing that women should consider when exploring hormonal or you know, hormonal options postpartum is in the past, have you how have you reacted to <laughs> putting additional right. hormones in your body? And for me, I should have known. I just was kind of like blindly Following the OB, it was my first, uh, my first pregnancy, first experience postpartum, and they said like you're breastfeeding, but we don't want you to get pregnant too soon again. So, I started it, and then I didn't realize it was like a month or two of like kind of struggling, trying to figure out my mental health, and <clears throat> I was like, oh my god, I always have like the worst reaction. So I, I took that off. In addition to doing many other things, um, you know, mm-hmm. making sure a lot of women aren't are, um, well-versed that like your OB is your first stop in postpartum mental health. If you're struggling, they have so many resources and a lot of women are trying to find, you know, go to their PCP or trying to get in with a psychiatrist, which is like almost impossible now. So using that OB as your first stop and the person who, they, they do this all the time. And I think we forget that, that we kind of associate them with like, you know, having the baby and delivering the baby and, you know, your body postpartum, but, but think of them as they have unlimited resources for this. Um, so, so that's obviously the first option is those, Mm -hmm. those progesterone only pills. And I actually found an interesting website just Looking through everything. It's called NURX. And what this is, is interesting. It goes through each progester. it has only pro- progestin only. only pills. And it actually gives you different ways that you can purchase it. Um, even if you, um, like at affordable out of pocket prices. So, you know, for me, I think of me right now, right. So I have no insurance, um, because Mm -hmm. of my husband working at a Catholic institution. Mm -hmm. Um, Gotta love this Catholic someone. Oh, All my kids go to Catholic school. <laughs> I, I grew was up like, Catholic oh. too. Oh my yep. God. I was like, oh. <laughs> I went to <laughs> private Catholic high school. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, I should have known none of this was gonna be covered. But it's, yeah, new N-U-R-X. And it was really cool by just going through it. It gives you all the progesterone because there's a lot. I didn't- This
1: is appreciate- cool. I'm pulling it up right now. This is real. I'll definitely share this with the show notes. This is really, really great. Isn't it cool? Yeah. And it tells this is cool. you-
0: each one. And I went through individually for all of them just to like triple check. they were all safe in pregnancy or excuse me, breast pregnancy, no Mm -hmm. breastfeeding. And Mm -hmm. they are. And so the, the interesting thing, just like, even as for me, um, it was, it was kind of interesting to look through all of them. A lot of them have specific, um, that they can be initiated postpartum. So for example, like a lot of the norethidrone, like in the website, they have, they all have different different names, but they're oh, I know, essentially There's the so same thing. And they're all like female names. They're like Heather, Camila, yeah. Camila. Like all, I mean, there was I like, never thought of that actually. I never put that together that they're female. Names. They're all, and I'm like, what the heck? So someone yeah. was like having fun naming all of them. Essentially, they're all the same thing, looking them up. There was yeah. just- But on that website, they have a predominantly either norethedrone or, um, I'm going to mispronounce this, Um, Rose Paradone. Yeah, I know. Butcher, I that's a tough one. <laughs> I'm going to butcher that. But either one of those are safe, and I actually like went in and um, like looked under. I love Lexicomp as my my mm. go-to for what's safe in pregnancy and breastfeeding, and they've actually gotten away from um, saying like hundred percent, this is unsafe. This is safe for pregnancy. Okay. For example, the old school, then we're going to age ourselves is that it used to be categories like a through X. You remember? Yes. Like it, so yep. it's not that anymore. Really? Okay. Yeah. They completely revamped the website. And I love it. So what they do for a pregnancy is they put, they tabulate like all the literature. So every, all even case reports, like, so they'll give you, here's what happened in all these case reports. It doesn't, or all these studies, and it completely goes away from the A through X, which I love, which is kind of like what I'm advocating for is it shouldn't be like black and white. Of course you have those medications that are teratogenic. So of course you're going to change those Mm. over before. And also not to get, have a squirrel moment, but my husband is on was on before, he'll loved me for telling everybody that <laughs> um panasteride for hair yep. growth. Mm-hmm. So those are things that even your partner shouldn't be taking when you're trying. So like there are some absolute no-nos. But the mm. cool thing is when you go into Lexi, it now will tell you like here's every single study and here's what they found. And then for breastfeeding, too, they know that they kind of summarize it's called um a relative it's a, called an RID relative infant dose and what they found was is that if the relative infant dose was less than 10 percent for most drugs that is considered safe and okay so they'll give you the relative infant dose and on top of that they're also populate anything that happened you know while while it was studied. So for example for Northethrone um they put in there um, that they took milk concentrations from uh, various women. Okay. And just pick, picking it up. And then it, it will tell you, pulling it, I thought I, I thought I saved it correctly, but no, that would be too, that'd be too good. <laughs> um, but it tells you, okay. So it says information in the presence of nor- methadone is available following, uh postpartum administration of various women. And then what they did was using the breast milk concentrations, the relative infant dose of norephidrone is 4.1% compared to the weight adjusted maternal dose. So what they do is they say like, what, what amount is getting to the infant and um, it has to be less than 10% of of that. And so- And this is all on LexiComp. Yes. Yes. This is great. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Breastfeeding is generally considered acceptable if the R.I.D. of the medication is less than ten percent, and then it said there was like various plasma concentrations depending on, or excuse me, various milk concentrations. Um, But it said that um, there. It even reports that it says isolated reports of decreased milk production, which is sometimes the concern of women, was it was. It was rare. They saw it mm. in some cases, but it was extremely rare because that's a question a lot of women have. Um, and then it says, when using this contraceptive, recommending. Breastfeeding is not um this is that the contraceptive is not initiated for six weeks after delivery, if okay. fully breastfeeding or three weeks after delivery, which for partially breastfeeding. Um, and then it says, however, there are available guidelines that state NOR ethiger, maybe start at any time postpartum in breastfeeding patients. But I thought it was interesting because as we go through the various contraceptive options, um, there was a lot of like timelines to talk to Mm. your OB about, like it said, you know, a start, you know, start six weeks or start three weeks. So that's obviously something that even as a pharmacist, I didn't even think, um, to, to even ask, but I mean, it makes sense because most of us, unless you're like, you had like the easiest, uh, like delivery ever, you don't even want to touch your partner for weeks anyway.
1: Well, that and that's part of the problem. So, you know, you have a baby. What do they... Now, depending if you had C-section or vaginal, um, what do they usually say? Like, how long do you have to wait before having sex?
0: Six weeks for vaginal and eight weeks for cesarean. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm assuming there's numerous reasons, but you really have to heal, like everywhere. Right. everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: Before- and then after that time period time periods gone by can they start initiating let's say they wanted to go on progesterone you know birth control or they can start that okay because that's important I think for us to this is again territory that we haven't really explored a lot in pharmacy school we we got a little bit on it but just how to talk to a woman who's just had a a baby counseling in like her her sex life (laughs)
0: Yeah. movie was like, so awesome. Cause I had told her, I don't want babies. She's like, so let's talk about it. And we like yeah, literally went through what kind of what we're going through, which is first the, the hormonal methods. And then mm-hmm. the second, the non-hormonal, like she covered everything. The other one too, like I said, on that website, there was just one other uh, one that again you I could barely even pronounce umdro <laughs> Par- Paranone. it sounds like yeah sounds like a fun cocktail
1: um
0: <laughs> but, but it says um so just to read because i like obviously to give everybody facts but information mm-hmm. related to the presence of uh Dros Paranone in breast milk is available following maternal administration of four milligrams daily. And then it's the cool. They collect the milk and the average milk concentration, they tell you, and they say the relative infant dose of this was 1.5%, again, which is considered mm. safe. adverse mm-hmm. events um, are not to be expected following infant exposure via the breast milk. And in general, Again, what we're saying, progestin-only contraceptives may be initiated immediately postpartum if reasonably sure the patient is not pregnant. Um, so this one says specifically immediately, if greater than five days since the menstrual cycle bleeding, okay, we know that. This is mm. basically saying you got to be careful and take the same time every yeah. day. Um, yeah, Absolutely. The only other, so those are your, your pills, honestly, like we're saying, the pills do have some drawbacks in the way that, you know, you really have to be on top of it. Like you're saying, set a reminder, mm-hmm. um, some other, um, hormonal options are, um, injections. So, um, that, that, uh, that depot, the depot uh, yep, prevera yep. I've seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So depot purveyor is actually safe. So, okay if you have somebody that, um, would prefer to do a shot that's going to last and they can come in every, every three months, um, you can do that. Um, I mean, I, and that's a good option if you just don't want to have to worry about taking a pill. No, like who wants to do that? So it's, um, again, I can read what it says, but, um, it says for, um, medroxyprogesterone, it says the concentrations have been, um, have been studied post that 150 milligram per ml injection. Um, Administration usually occurs at that six to seven weeks as we're talking about. The maternal plasma were Mm -hmm. sampled over 12 weeks. Um, And then it does say like in in most of the studies that there is various plasma and breast, like actual amounts in their breast milk for each woman. Um, But it says that the greatest concentration occurred within two weeks of the injection and then decreased over time. And then, um, the, the interesting thing, because I know, again, women get really squeamish when it's, you're, you're introducing anything to their baby. It says yeah. that the metabolites were not detected in the urine of breastfed male infants following administration. And then in addition, urine concentrations of the, um, the LH hormones and the FAS, the FS um, F- follicular stimulating hormones and unconjugated testosterone were no different in the breastfed male infants um, that were exposed to majoxi progesterone okay. versus those that aren't, which is obviously huge. Um, that is huge. Use- you worry about, um, if, especially if it's a boy. I don't even think about that because I'm like, mm. have three girls. So I'm not worried about messing with their <laughs> testosterone. Yeah. But no, and in, in all seriousness, obviously, yeah. about, am I? Is there any way I'm I'm messing with this infant's hormones? Um, and so adverse effects and behavioral effects were not noted. Um, And then again, most of those women that were studied got it at that six to seven week mark, which is. Perfect too because you know, you have a baby, you don't even go back to your OB for six weeks. Um, and yeah. so so that at that OB visit really should be where where we talk about these contraceptive methods. And then um two other or one other option is that hormonal implant. Mm-hmm. Um and so there is a subdermal, it's um eno uh which is, um, it's a subdural implant on the inner upper part of your arm. And then you actually can leave that up in there until for three years. Um, And that one specifically is a progestin only. Um, And so that's an option for someone that's like in the phase that I'm at, where it's like, I don't want a baby anytime soon, probably never. And you can right. leave, leave that small implant in there for up to three years, and then you can remove it and you can actually put a new one, uh, right in there. And, um, for this one, uh, again, this is safe in breastfeeding. It says that, uh, they took 42 breastfeeding women and they initiated treatment again at that four to eight weeks post postpartum in a four-month study, the highest concentrations were out a month after insertion of the implant and decreased over time. The relative uh, infant dose, um, was 2.2% of weight adjusted maternal dose. So, um, it's considered safe and the theoretical concerns of these implants that they could prevent the onsite of, um, or like lactation was, Mm -hmm. um, found that that was was incorrect. It says that it does not affect the quality or quantity of your milk. So again, that concern that you could have decreased milk production is negated. Okay. Um, And then uh, breastfeeding infants of the mothers with the um, enogestral implant were not found to have any differences in body length, head circumference body weight or any adverse or psychomotor development um so again a completely safe option with that implant um then the the so that kind of covers everything that's safe from a hormonal um perspective um and then from which i wanted to do um again was to explore the non-hormonal options yeah I do not like having hormones in my body. Mm -hmm. Um, So the one that I found that I was really wanted to do, and I actually got a quote from the insurance company um, of what it would be just at value is, have you ever heard of the copper IUD?
1: I have heard of that. I don't know enough about it, but I have heard of it.
0: So it's called Paragard. It's an uterine copper contraceptive. And you go to your OB and they insert it into your uterus. So interestingly enough, sperm doesn't like copper. (laughs) (laughs) So so it's like a completely non-hormonal way. And it will actually, um, it's like immediately reversible too, which is really cool. Yeah. it has no side effects. And it's completely not no hormones and it's completely safe while breastfeeding. Um, Mm -hmm. so when I looked, I was like, Oh my God, this is perfect for me because I don't want to put any hormones in my body. But I also want, I think what's really important too, that I didn't touch on is, um, efficacy. So for the hormonal implant or getting sterilized or this copper IUD, Mm -hmm. um, they're all, that is all over 99% effective. So if you're like- Even the copper one. Yes, yes. That's so
1: amazing.
0: It's $900 if you don't have insurance, but I feel okay. like if you're going to keep that baby in for 10 years, it's totally worth it. Um, yeah. And then the, and immediately reversible too, right? Cause we know, and I, I think I'm a, a child of this. Like when you're on, like I said, I was on season E for like 10 years. When you get mm-hmm. off of it, I really don't think we know enough, but I think I suspect that's why it took me forever to get mm-hmm. pregnant with my first daughter because I came off of it around my 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 wedding and then it took literally a full year to get. I mean, who knows? But just I think that's obviously something that we don't know enough about. Like it
1: yeah, we don't. There, we don't. And then there's that women- opposite where they're saying, oh well, once you get if you go off of it, you're super fertile that yes, like first month. Both. So I
0: don't know. I know I've heard that too. And so yeah. it's been like, uh, it's like a anecdotal that I've seen mm. for me and my friends, it's all been different. So definitely can't draw any conclusions on that. But, um, yeah, so, but then when you have the injection, we talk about the pill, um, and, um, the, like the, those options, they're 91 to 94% effective. And that's obviously if the user's using them, right, right. Right. Um, for the pill. And then you have your, um, your non-hormonal options, like I said, the copper ID was the most appealing to me. But then this is probably more your jam than mine. Um, mm-hmm. But the the seventy-two to eighty-eight percent effective for these other non-hormonal options, which are the diaphragm. Mm-hmm. I'm like so unfamiliar with all these.
1: Um, yeah, the di that's and that's pretty old school.
0: <laughs> I was yeah. reading wet and like a sponge. I was like the sponge. What? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That's, whoa! that seems extremely old school. Um, so for the listeners that don't like know, cause I like was like, what, what the heck is sponge? Wow. You like, you can put it up vaginally and it like, yeah. essentially sits there for 24 hours. You can leave it up in there for 24 hours. And then the efficacy is again, 72
1: to 80%. I think um, there was a friends episode with that where monica or someone was like hoarding they discontinued it or something oh my,
0: well, there was a, there was some
1: that's si- a sitcom terrible. where they did that and I, that was the first time i'd heard about
0: it oh my god i was like what um
1: <laughs> yeah no that those are old school um i always wonder about risk for like bacterial vaginosis me, me and, too and, that's it yeah. You know, yeah i don't
0: know i yeah. that seemed like um the then the the good old condom condoms at, yeah at thirty four I yeah. went shopping for condoms I felt like <laughs> <just> so, so <laughs> I was like wow this is so uncomfortable and then in New Jersey. Oh, got to love New Jersey for so many reasons, but it that st- they stopped doing the plastic bags. So at 34, I, I oh like no. So I'm like walking out with condoms in my hand. So that's great. With like a cart full of three kids, people are like, like what is this woman doing? Um Then you have
1: your, good but old- you know, you have to, this is another thing. Like you have to wonder, you know, how, who came up with that whole idea and how insensitive it is are they thinking about that? Are they thinking about maybe someone and it might deter someone from buying? Oh God, I
0: know. I know. You know any like type you of know condom that. or anything, they're,
1: they're embarrassed. So they, they have to think about this for consumers also.
0: Yeah. Maybe do yeah. like an Amazon <laughs> Amazon drop instead of going to CVS with three children and doing that. I was like, wow, well, this is, this is a first Oh man. Um, then the good old pull and pray. As yeah, I was literally says. going to say that too. <laughs> pull and pray. Um, <laughs> spermicide, which yes. you would be more familiar with than I am, but you have to put it on like X amount of time before. Right?
1: Yeah, and yeah, you have to put it on. Um, and in fact, I was just listening to something about this with the spermicides. Um, and, you know, and and if you have to make sure that you're putting it correctly, um, you know, inserting it incorrectly. It's like anywhere from like 15 minutes to 60 minutes. Yeah. And and it made, so basically it maintains acidic vaginal pH. So to, and and that's really how it's working. They say at least 10 to 15 minutes before sex. um, But some are only effective for an hour. Oh, is that where you have to reapply every time you're having sex? (laughs) You know, there's a lot.
0: And and obviously I'm not in this wheelhouse, but think if you're like in the dating land and you're like at that uncomfortable, like with me and my husband, and he's seen me vaginally birth three kids. Right, right, right. I have to apply the spermicide, but like, if you're in a dating world, that might get a little awkward. Um, Yeah. You know, it kind of takes the
1: (laughs) romance out of (laughs) time. Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah. And then the last thing um, is, which a lot of people are talking about lately, and, and I'd love this is mm-hmm. um, your expertise, but that natural cycle—that the app that people are using—yes, mm-hmm. it it seems to be getting. So it's the first FDA-approved birth control app, and so basically, you take your temperature, mm-hmm. um, and then you you kind of plot and trend um, your your body temperature in according to your cycles. And I've heard um, a lot of women have have success with this, and it's it's again. 72 to 88% effective is, is what they're, they're stating. But this to me is a little bit newer and a lot of people. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because they used to, so, you know, people used to just use a good old calendar. So on average, if you have a 28 day menstrual cycle, you're usually ovulation occurs around like 14 days, they say before the start of the next menstrual period, but then that length can vary depending on the person.
0: Mine yeah. always like grossly varied. I mean, obviously that's probably why for the first two, I needed a little bit of help, but mine could be anywhere from like day 10 to day 24. I mean, it was like when I was doing those, right. um, when I was doing the the ovulation sticks, mm-hmm. like I would, it was always like very inconsistent too. So- And there's um, really I only
1: think- that, they they say like what, and, and you might know more because you've been through this journey with, there's like really five days where you can actually get
0: Yep, pregnant. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And some people even say, like, optimally, like that forty-eight hour window is really like a magical window, and mm-hmm. they say, you know, to have sex at least once a day or or every other day is usually enough in that in that five day mm-hmm. window. Um, and and so yeah, that that's it. But it, apparently, this app is is awesome for for tracking that and then really narrowing down like. Based off of your your temperature. Um, Yeah,
1: that's really cool.
0: Yeah, and that was something that I was instructed to do when I was trying to conceive. Just with the ovulation sticks, was also to track my temperature too. And so, some genius made this awesome app called Natural Cycles. Um, So that's another option too.
1: I mean, we can track Um, our sleep now. We can track this.
0: (laughs) You know, oh my god, right? Yeah. Yeah, seriously. And so. There are so many options. Again, I haven't even, I like just called that the, the paraguard to get like some, yeah. uh, some um, just background on how much it would cost with no insurance. Um, but there, there definitely are so many options now that if hormonal or not hormonal and breastfeeding, you, you, you know, have, have A to, A to Z options on what you can take that's safe.
1: Yeah. Now it on did. the copper insert, how is it once a year? How, how does that work? No, just once. And it lives wow. up there for
0: 10 for up to 10 years. And that's amazing. Yeah, apparently copper is, it's like, again, like for some reason, sperm do not, do not like it.
1: I wish I had come up with that. <laughs>
0: that's, and it was a that's, genius came up with that. I know yeah, that's really so, cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And this new RX, this is great you know, I'll put this in the show notes too. This is really just for some quick information too. Yeah. This is really good. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, again, I feel like these are conversations that women might may not feel as comfortable talking about because it's, you know, they get squirmish when they're talking about sex, but it's important. And even more important, if they want to start using contraception, what are their options?
0: Right. So, right. Yeah. Right exactly
1: yeah thank you for sharing all that. that that was a lot of really great information
0: and your personal
1: (laughs) journey too I appreciate you opening up to everybody it makes it more relatable for everyone you know you've you've been there with a lot of these things so
0: (laughs) yes yes no we should all all be open there's you know you never know who's going through something that for some reason or another people are you know embarrassed to talk about them very yeah absolutely then you can relate to more people.
1: Mm-hmm. And as far as how to find you, we have your website. Yes.
0: Um, so I have my website, which is just perfectingpeds.com. Um, some other ways we have a Facebook, a Instagram and uh, a LinkedIn, which is at perfectingpeds and then my own personal, um, LinkedIn, And Facebook and Instagram, which is Jenna with one N, so J E N A, and then Mm -hmm. last name Quinn, Q U I N N. Perfect. And congrats on your publication. I saw that on LinkedIn. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's really great. My grandfather—I'll never really—I don't think I'll ever match him as a pharmacist, but he was insane. He had over 150 patents. Um, I didn't—I didn't know
1: that until I read that when you were talking about you know that your your grandfather was a a pharmacist, correct?
0: Yeah. And he, yeah. he was a pharmacist and then he went back and got his doctorate in chemistry and so he worked at GlaxoSmithKline in Philly um for I don't know, like 30 or 40 years. And so he had over like 150 patents and he re- he wrote a lot of organic chemistry books, which was my least favorite subject in college. That's amazing um, that he wrote books. That's so I know. <laughs> and so, you know, sometimes he passed away like two years ago and it I and he also uh found it like the discovered the association was on the team of discovered that dopamine affects Parkinson's. And so they he made huge strides in healthcare. And so, you know, every time I have like a monumental, he's the reason um when when he passed uh a couple weeks later I or it was Aww. probably a couple months I bought my LLC. Cause I'm like, you know what? He, you know, he, if anything, he yep. inspired me to to do more and to do things like that are done, you know, the non-traditional way. So, um, I was just sad to, cause he was like the only person that I would love to to share my publication with. So, yeah,
1: yeah. And he, for the, for the, for the listeners, it's the publication is opportunities for comprehensive medication management for children with special healthcare needs and medical complexity, I I'm looking forward to it. now. How can they find this publication?
0: Um, so I think you can go on my LinkedIn. It's right there. Okay. Um, and then and then that's like the the preprints, um, and so um, it's gonna be it got like accepted, so they put it into the preprints. But okay. Um, then it's gonna be on oh
1: god which and i love there's it? a photo too of you and your grandfather oh it's just <laughs> I, so sweet
0: i don't think it's actually going to be published in a journal until january
1: okay that's great though that's so exciting um,
0: but yeah they were they have like they were they'll they'll do the the preprints and then actually i was talking to todd um from the pharmacy network uh, the he he wants to do a podcast just on that and and then i think that'd be great list. I'm excited. We have a subsequent one coming out where we're going to actually, like, you know, unveil what we found to have like the first pediatric trained pharmacist in a long-term care facility that's exclusively for kids. So wow. I'm excited.
1: This is exciting stuff. I'm I'm so <laughs> looking forward to seeing what else you do. This is great.
0: Thank you. Thank you so, you much. so much
1: for coming on. And I, I know I'm going to have you on again. <laughs> <laughs> we have fun together. For more to, there's always more to talk about. But it was a pleasure having you on. And and I'm sure our our listeners found this very informative. I definitely did. So
0: thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it.